In this film, Helen is chasing criminals, rescuing people. She wants to be there for everybody. It's amazing to see Helen, you know, doing what she does. Her moniker is Elastigirl. Elasticism allows her to do many more feats than we saw in Incredibles. I love seeing Helen take center stage. She's the first one in, in terms of this plan to get the supers legal again. So there's a lot riding on her shoulders. Helen is initially reluctant to return to work because she's worried about the family. What do you say? What do I say? <laughs> I don't know. When Bob reassures her that he's got this covered, she takes him at his word, and she's completely consumed by the work. Bye, sweetie. She does check in on the family. When Dash calls her looking for his sneakers, she takes the call. I can't find my high tops, and Dad can't find them either. But he won't call you and ask, so why it? Dash, honey, can't talk right now, but look under your bed, okay? I think any mother can relate. If you have a profession that you care a lot about, you put your all into that, but it doesn't diminish your love and affection for your family. I just thought it was kind of cool. What was? Fighting crime as a family. It was cool, but it's over. The world is what it is. We have to adapt. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Hope and Happy Mother's Day. We are in week two of a message series looking at uh, the wisdom of the Old Testament book of Proverbs and sort of the sub-theme of this message series is scripture in a movie. That clip we just watched is kind of a bonus feature talking about the movie Incredibles 2, and it does a really good job summarizing what it is we're going to be talking about today. Helen Parr is a mom with a superpower, and you heard one of the producers of the film say she's a woman who wants to be there for everybody. She's a woman who wants to be there for everybody. Seems to me that's one of the great blessings, but also one of the curses of womanhood. You want to be there for everybody. There's a woman named Tara Beth Leach. She is senior pastor at Paz Naz, a first church of the Nazarene in Pasadena, California. So uh, when the Hawkeyes lose to Iowa State this year, but then sweep the weak Big Ten West and make it to the Rose Bowl, that's where I plan to worship when I go out to watch. But anyway... Uh, <laughs> She wrote an article recently on the amount of stress that mothers in particular are feeling these days in America. In the article, she points to research done by Caitlin Collins and her team. They discover something that we've all known, but there's this massive internal conflict that a lot of women feel uh, between being devoted to family and home on one hand and being devoted to a career on the other hand. Here's what the researcher Caitlin Collins writes. She says, I want American moms to stop blaming themselves. I want American mothers to stop thinking their conflict is their own fault. And if they tried a little harder, got a new schedule, woke up a little earlier, used the right planner or the right app, they could somehow figure out the key to managing their stress. I don't know about you, I just love it when I'm struggling with some issue in my life and the wisdom from uh, outside comes into me. It's like, well, just stop doing that. You're eating too much, well, just stop it. You, you worry too much, just stop worrying. I've got anger issues, well, stop being so mad all the time. I don't know, I don't actually find that to be helpful. I, I don't think that's what Caitlin Collins is saying, women just stop it. I think she's saying, look a little bit deeper, that there's something going on under the surface, and that's the real thing we need to start thinking about and then talking about. Th this is how it works in my life. I don't know if it's true for you or not, but... The, the lasting changes that have happened in my life, whether it's a behavioral change or a change of a thought pattern that was negative or destructive, 
It doesn't happen when I just kind of clench my fists and try really hard to stop doing what I don't want to do. Instead, it comes from digging in and taking time to ask why. Why do I act that way? Why do I think that way? And when you can get to kind of the root issue, the root cause, then there's the hope that with God's help, with God's grace, change can happen. Transformation can happen. And so that's what I want us to do today, spend a little bit of time digging into why so many women. She's talking about mothers specifically in this context, but I think we could uh, branch it out to women in general. Where does this conflict come from? One of the places it comes from is bad biblical interpretation, particularly of the book of Proverbs. As we started making our way through this book last week, one of the things you pick up on really quickly is the wisdom literature of, of the Bible will talk about this contrast between the way of wisdom and the way of folly. Here's the wise way to go, here's, here's the wise way to act or interact with one another, and then here's the foolish way to go. And of course you see that sort of thing, but the, the wisdom of the wisdom literature is deeper than that. And to pick up on it, it's really important what happens in Proverbs chapter 8. In Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom gets personified. We are introduced to a biblical character. Uh, biblical scholars refer to this character that shows up in Proverbs 8 as Lady Wisdom. And I want us to read together how this chapter begins. It's on the screen. Read it out loud with me. Listen as wisdom calls out. Hear as understanding raises her voice. On the hilltop along the road, she takes her stand at the crossroads. We get introduced to Lady Wisdom, and as you read through the rest of the chapter, you see Wisdom acting like a person, speaking to people, offering advice, standing alongside rulers as they lead the people they are governing. Wisdom is personified and personified as a woman. By the time you get to the end of the chapter, in verse 32, it seems like Lady Wisdom is this mother who is speaking to her children. And so, my children, listen to me, Lady Wisdom says. For all who follow my ways are joyful. Wisdom gets personified. Think about who we worship as Christians. One God existing in three unique persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When Jesus is born, God incarnate, God as a person, one of the things that is amazing about Jesus is his incredible wisdom. Even as a 12-year-old, he's amazing people with his wisdom, his understanding. Wisdom is personified in Jesus. He, in the Sermon on the Mount, is doing the same thing that the wisdom literature does, pointing out the contrast between the way of wisdom and the way of folly. Paul refers to Jesus. Christ is the wisdom of God, Paul writes. Wisdom incarnate, wisdom personified. We see it in the person of Jesus. We also see it in the person of the Holy Spirit. How does God speak to us? How does God guide us? Through the person of the Holy Spirit. So I really hope you're starting to pick up on the idea wisdom gets personified in the wisdom literature of Scripture, which is important to us because it tells us more important than sitting around and talking about wise ideas is this idea that we become people who put wisdom into action. How do we become people who internalize this wisdom in such a way that we become wisdom personified in the way we live our lives, in the way we interact with the key relationships in our life? And you miss all of that if you don't pay close attention to Proverbs 8. 
Lady wisdom. And if you don't pay close attention to lady wisdom, it impacts the way you're going to interpret the rest of the wisdom literature, particularly a chapter like Proverbs 31, which is our Bible reading for today. We began in verse 10. Again, it's on the screen. Let's all read this out loud together. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. I think the leadership of hope is incredibly wise to have had children read the Bible reading today because then we focus in on how cute they are and how silly and kind of funny they are and we forget about the ridiculous stuff that they're actually saying. I mean, if you paid attention to what's being said in those 22 verses, it feels like this absolutely impossible to-do list or job description for a woman. Here are all of the things that you need to do in order to be a virtuous woman. Here are all the roles that you need to fill or else we're going to view you as an incapable woman. And if that really is what Proverbs 31 is about, then it's no wonder Women are running around underneath this heavy, heavy burden of stress, trying to live up to something, some ideal that is impossible to live up to. But what if that's not what these 22 verses are about? And maybe it's that number 22 that should be the first clue that there's something else going on here. Uh, The Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. This passage of Scripture that often we we talk about as a Proverbs 31 woman, it's actually a poem, an acrostic poem. An acrostic poem is a poem that each line begins with a, a different letter. And so each of these 22 verses begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And the wisdom writers in the Bible do this in multiple places. Uh, Psalm 119 is one example. It's a really long psalm, but it gets divided into eight verse sections, and each section begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Why does it matter that this is a poem? Well, we interpret the meaning of poetry very differently than we would interpret the meaning of, I don't know, a textbook or something like that. Uh, Poetry is this creative expression that is used not to make a whole bunch of points typically, rather it's used to drive home a single or maybe a couple of key ideas. And that's what we see happening here. It's not a to-do list that every individual woman needs to be able to do all of these things. Instead, it's pointing us to a really important idea, that what matters most is not what we do, what matters most is how we do it. Uh, One of the things I love about social media, social media makes it possible for me to connect very easily, very quickly with wisdom from a variety of perspectives. And a woman whose perspective has been really helpful to me over the course of the last several years as I've been growing as a follower of Jesus Christ is Rachel Held Evans. Uh, She's an author, a blogger, and she loves a good Twitter debate about theology. Uh, Rachel Held Evans a couple of weeks ago was battling an infection. And so she took some medication, had an allergic reaction to the medication, and began having um, uncontrollable seizures. So the doctors put her into a medically induced coma. And for several weeks, people all over the world were praying for Rachel Held Evans, for her health. And a week ago Saturday, she died. 37 years old, just seems so completely random and unbelievably tragic. Uh, 37 years old, leaves behind a husband, a young son, a daughter who turns one next week. And I'm following along on Twitter as many of the people close to Rachel, some of her closest friends, 
One of the things they started to do was share on Twitter these notes of encouragement or wisdom that they had received from Rachel. Maybe they were pursuing a career as an author. Maybe they were uh, following a call into ministry, and maybe they were in a denomination where they didn't actually look too highly on women in leadership. And so Rachel would send these notes of encouragement. And at the end of almost every note that these women were sharing, Rachel would include this line. She would say, remember, you are a woman of valor. Remember, you are a woman of valor. It comes right from this verse, Proverbs 31.10, that gets translated in the New Living Translation, who can find a virtuous and capable wife? Another way of translating it would, who can find a woman of valor? The Hebrew word underneath all of it is chayil. And chayil shows up a couple of different places in the Old Testament. It shows up in the life of King David. King David, who grew up a shepherd boy, who becomes the king, he's a warrior, but also a poet, a songwriter. He writes some of the wisdom literature of the scriptures, many of the Psalms, songs that are written by King David. And so uh, we're going to actually look closely at King David next month, in the month of June, as we work our way through the book of 1 Samuel. We're, we'll learn a lot about leadership from King David. There's a passage in 2 Samuel 23 that talks about David's mightiest warriors. It takes an entire page of my Bible to talk about these 30 men who are kind of like the special ops team for David's army. Really strong, really heroic, uh, really brave men. And here's the description of one of them, 2 Samuel 23, verse 20. There was also Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant warrior from Kabzeel. He did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab. Another time, on a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit and killed it. The Hebrew word that shows up in 2 Samuel 23 is the same Hebrew word that shows up in Proverbs 31, chayil. And the translators, when they're going talking about David's mighty man, they translate it a valiant warrior. And when they're talking about a Proverbs 31 woman, they translate it a virtuous and capable wife. That's interesting, isn't it? Another passage that's helpful to understand what are we supposed to be thinking about when we think about a Proverbs 31 woman is the story of Ruth. Uh, Ruth marries a man whose mother is Naomi. And when this man dies, Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, they have to leave the place where they are living and they move back to Bethlehem, which is where Naomi grew up. And what you have to remember is in that culture, the way things were set up, the way society was set up to be a widow was a very scary thing. It meant you were vulnerable. It meant you were impoverished. And so Ruth is trying to figure out what do we do. She decides to take a job, and her job is to go through the fields that have already been harvested and hope that the landowner is kind enough to let her gather up whatever grain has fallen to the ground after they've harvested. And those scraps would be what she would use to feed herself and to feed her mother-in-law, Naomi. In the process of doing this, she meets a landowner named Boaz. And as the story continues, Ruth will end up marrying Boaz. They will end up having children. They become the great-great-grandparents, I think, of King David. But before they get married, before they have children, Boaz says to Ruth, everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. It's the same word that gets used in Proverbs 31. So part of what I want every woman in the room to hear 
If you have ever been made to feel like you are somehow less than until or unless you get married, until or unless you have children, that is not a biblical idea. This word chayil, it means strength, it means force, it means ability, and it gets applied to all kinds of women, not just mothers, not just wives, all kinds of women. But somehow over time, we have reduced its meaning, and especially as we're talking about Proverbs 31, we've reduced this idea of a woman of valor. It simply means there are a whole bunch of roles that you need to fulfill dutifully. And a lot of times the message that gets communicated to women in church world is, here's your highest calling as a Christian woman. You can be a wife and you can be a mother. And I'm not trying to take anything away from those callings. Those are great callings, but they're not your highest calling as a Christian woman. The highest calling for a Christian woman is to be a follower of Jesus Christ wherever that might lead you, whatever that might mean for you. Where is God calling you? And so I'm so grateful for women like Rachel Held Evans who remind us it's not about what we do, it's about how we do it. That's what it means to be a Proverbs 31 woman. That's what it means to be a woman of valor. Here's what Rachel writes. If you are a stay-at-home mom, be a stay-at-home mom of valor. If you are a nurse, be a nurse of valor. If you are a CEO, a pastor, or a barista at Starbucks. If you are rich or poor, single or married, do it all with valor. A Proverbs 31 woman, a woman of valor, is a woman who is incredibly strong and courageous and filled with godly wisdom, which means a Proverbs 31 woman is just as much Arya Stark as she is June Cleaver or Helen Parr, this superhero in this movie, Incredibles 2. At the beginning of the movie, they've made being a superhero illegal. Because superheroes, as they're getting the the bad guys, they cause a lot of damage to streets and roads and and infrastructure. It just costs too much, so they make it illegal. I was actually reading an article that I found kind of humorous on Rotten Tomatoes. They went back and they rewatched every movie that Dwayne The Rock Johnson was in, and they watched it to keep track of all of the destruction, and what would the bill actually be if they had to repair all of this damage? And most of the damage, of course, is uh, done by computer animation, but if it actually happened and you had to rebuild and repair, just over $12 trillion just from (laughs) the movies of The Rock. And so this is part of what's going on at the beginning of this movie. We can't pay for all of this stuff, so just let the bad guys do what they're going to do. But there's a man with a plan to make superheroes legal again, and the plan hinges on Helen and her superpower alter ego, Elastigirl. She is faced with a decision, and it's not an easy decision for her to make. Take a look. What do you mean you don't know? A few hours ago, you were saying it was over and being a superhero was a fantasy. Now you get the offer of a lifetime and you don't know? It's not that simple, Bob. I want to protect the kids. So do I. From jail, Bob. And how do you do that? By turning down a chance to change the law that forces them to hide what they are? They haven't decided what they are. They're still kids. Kids with powers, which makes them supers, whether they decide to use those powers or not. This will benefit them. Look, it's not a good time to be away. Dash is having trouble with homework. Vi is worried about her first date with that boy she likes, Tony. And Jack-Jack. Jack-Jack? What's wrong with him? Okay, nothing's wrong with Jack-Jack. But even a normal baby needs a lot of attention. I'm just not sure I can leave. Of course you can leave. You've got to. So that I... 
we can be supers again so our kids can have that choice. <laughs> so you can have that choice. All right, yes, so I can have that choice. And I would do a great job, regardless of what Devers pie charts say or whatever. But they want you. And you'll do a great job. That was excruciating to watch. <laughs> I can't lie to you. It's nice to be wanted. It's flattering, you know, but... What's a choice? One, do this right, get well paid, we're out of the motel, and things get better for all supers, including our kids. Or two, I find a job in two weeks or we're homeless. You know what's crazy, right? To help my family, I gotta leave it. To fix the law, I gotta break You'll it. You'll be great. I know I will. But what about you? We have kids. I'll watch the kids, no problem. Easy. Easy, huh? You're adorable. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? I liked the part of the clip at the beginning where she's riding around on her, you know, super fancy motorcycle and the kid calls, I can't find my shoes, dad can't find them anywhere. We're, maybe we husbands and fathers should just confess we're the worst lookers in the world, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, initially she's very hesitant about taking this job. She's concerned about the family. And as she's trying to discern what is the wise decision to make, she feels like she's being pulled in multiple directions at once. And I want you to think about that. Here's a woman, this character in this movie, who actually has the ability to be pulled in multiple directions at once. It's literally her superpower. And there's something about our culture that has communicated to all women, you need to have the same superpower. And if we're not careful, we can read Proverbs 31 and say, yeah, here is biblical evidence that God commands women to be superhuman. But actually, there's only one command in this poem in Proverbs 31. It shows up at the end in, in, in verse 31. Reward her for all she has done. Let her deeds publicly declare her praise. This is not a command to women to do everything and to be everything. This is a command to the rest of us to praise women for everything they do. You know, one of the keys to biblical interpretation, a lot of times as you're reading through the Bible, you come across stuff that's kind of cringeworthy. And you come across stuff that makes you maybe roll your eyes or throw the Bible down and say, this is why I don't read the Bible. It just seems so out of date, out of touch, old-fashioned, whatever. A lot of times when we come across passages like this, one of the first things to remind ourselves, maybe there's something going on here because I'm not a part of the culture this was originally written to. Because I'm not part of that culture, maybe there's something culturally happening here that I'm missing out on. And so I contacted my new friend Stav. Stav was our tour guide when we were touring the Holy Land a couple of uh, months ago. And tour guide's probably not the most accurate thing to say about Stav. He knows Hebrew much better than I know Hebrew. He's an archaeologist. And so I called him up, uh, didn't call him up, Facebook messages. And I said, Stav, talk to me a little bit about Proverbs 31. He says, well, you know, it's a poem, right? I said, of course I know it's a poem. I mean, I went to seminary, goodness sakes. He says, what do we do with poems in Jewish culture? We turn them into songs. And the primary way this text is used in Hebrew society, Jewish society, it's a song that gets sung on certain occasions, sometimes at weddings, but usually that's not where it's... Most of the time, the, the primary context where this passage is used is as they're preparing for the Sabbath. 
On Sabbath Eve, a husband gathers everybody in the household together, and the husband leads them in singing this song of praise to the women in the household. It's, it's supposed to be an ode to women, and somehow we've turned it into this burden for them to bear. It's supposed to be a, a way of cheering women on. And that clip we just watched, you saw Bob Parr, Mr. Incredible, trying to cheer his wife on. He wasn't very good at it, far from perfect. He made it about himself more often than not. But you also heard a couple of different times he would just simply say to her, you will be great. You will be great. To call someone a Proverbs 31 woman, to call someone a woman of valor, it's simply a way of saying, you go, girl. You got this. You are more than capable. And that's what we want to do at this worship service. On your way out, we're going to hand carnations to every woman. Because it's not about, are you a mom or not? It's not about, do you have a great relationship with your mom or not? It's about the woman that God has created you to be. A woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised, this proverb says, this poem, this song says. And we want to praise God for the woman he has created you to be. So I know some of you would rather have a glass of wine, but we're giving you carnations <laughs> on the way out. It's just the way it's got to be. At the beginning of the message, we talked about this burden of stress that many women feel like they're drowning under this burden. And it's not just women, is it? I grew up, uh, had two brothers. I was the middle of three boys. We didn't have any sisters. And so it's been this interesting and slow and long journey for me, uh, learning about women by being married to one for over 20 years now and also having three daughters. Um, our oldest daughter, Hadley, is going to be graduating from high school next weekend. And I was thinking about this. She'll be going off to college in the fall. And it's, you know, there's several different seasons in life where it's easy for both moms and dads to kind of get filled with regret. And so I wanted to read this to you. It's called Gift from a Hairdryer, Reflections on a Mom as She uh, Dries Her Daughter's Hair. It's written by Mary Jean Irian. Comb and dry, comb and dry. Soon you won't be able to do this anymore, you say to yourself, knowing that the little straight bob must inevitably yield to grown-up coiffers and ugly curlers. What will she be like at 14? Where will her hair be blowing then, and 16, and 18? You suppose boys will love to watch her hair blow as you do now, and some of them will feel it on their faces, and one of them will marry her, and her, veil, her hair will be perfect under the veil, and there will be her hair spread out on his pillow. Oh, you hate him a little, and wonder where he is at this moment, and whether he'll be good to her. They will grow old together, the gold-brown hair will be gray, and you will be gone, and then she will be gone, this very hair that now your fingers smooth. And all the tears of the world swim for a second in your eyes as you snatch the plug out of the socket suddenly and gather her into your arms, burying your face in the warm hair as if you could seal this moment against all time. But of course you can't. Because moments come and moments go. And the wisdom of the wisdom literature of the Bible is this prayer, Lord, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Wisdom wants to be our teacher. Wisdom wants to guide us. Wisdom wants us to, to show us the way to make the most of every moment so we don't live with this fear of the future, so we don't live with this regret about the past, but we can grow as people who more and more all the time 
our wisdom and action, making the most of every moment. Uh, when Hadley was born, I was going to seminary. We lived in Portland, Oregon, and there was a CD that we listened to on repeat like all the time. And so in this last month, as we've been getting closer and closer to graduation, my wife Wendy and I have been listening to this CD again. It was called Golden Slumbers, and it was this light jazz version of you know songs and lullabies that were intended to put babies to sleep and make new moms and dads cry, and it did a pretty good job of it. Um, it had some songs you might expect, uh, Brahms' Lullaby, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, but it also had the Beatles' Blackbird, or You Can Close Your Eyes by James Taylor, or Isn't She Lovely by Stevie Wonder. And so I asked Kyle and Nigel if they would play Isn't She Lovely. Remember, it's a light jazz version of it. And while they play it, uh, there's going to be some pictures on the screen of students in our congregation who are going to be graduating from high school in the next couple of weeks. So as you listen and as you watch, I, I don't know what moment of life you are in these days. But I wonder if maybe the prayer could simply be for God to help you become a person who grows in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all people.
Let's stand together. I don't know how Kyle hits that note. Every, even at 8 o'clock in the morning, he hit that note. Anyway, would you pray with me, please? So, Lord, we want to pause in this moment. And we want to just be as honest with you as we can be, that this is a day to celebrate, and it's also a day that's really hard for a lot of people. And so we pray that in this moment you would do what only you can do. And you would heal hearts that are hurting and broken. And you would lift our eyes and lift our spirits and and you would give us hope that more and more all the time as we follow after Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we could be men and women who grow in wisdom, who because you fill us with your wisdom, we can live lives of wisdom in action. But we just confess we can't do it on our own. And so we look to you to be our source of help and our source of hope. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.